you seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. And right now on Fast Money, the S&P narrowly eking out its third straight week of gains. Only the second time it's done that this year and the first time since March. But the chart master says the good times may not last much longer. We dig into the details to find out what we should expect now. Plus, cashing in shares of DraftKings soaring after its earnings report. Should you bet on the stock here or take your money and run? An earnings season may be winding down, but it's not over yet. Disney, Coinbase, Rivian, and more still on the calendar to come. We'll find out what names the traders are watching and what the reports could mean for these stocks. I'm Courtney Reagan in this evening for Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money live from the Nasdaq market site in the heart of Times Square. On the desk tonight, Guy Adami, Tim Seymour, Steve Grasso, and Mike Coe. Let's start off with the gangbuster employment report. The labor market adding 528,000 jobs in July. That's more than doubling estimates. The unemployment rate fell to 3.5%, a level not seen since before the pandemic. But is the good news good news? Markets closed well off their lows of the day, but were largely flat as investors Try to make sense of what the report means for the Fed. Also on the radar, next week's big CPI report. That comes out on Wednesday. So as we put earnings season behind us-ish, how do we expect markets to trade around these numbers? Guy, just last night we were trying to figure out what the number was going to mean when it came out today, whether it was strong or not. That jobs number was very strong, but I'm still not sure that we know what it means. What do you think? Yeah, well, if you had told me last night, Courtney, you say, Guy, the market, the job numbers are going to come out north of half a million. What's the S&P going to do? I'd said it would be down easy 50 handles, if not more, given a run we had. Obviously, that didn't happen. I would have said that because this makes the Fed's job that much more difficult. And I think anybody that thought the Fed was going to pause would probably have to take, take a little bit back, take a step back, given this jobs number. It didn't happen today. We'll see what happens next week. But again... I think it's great for our fellow citizens. I don't think it's particularly good for the stock market. Tim, what do you think? If the Fed doesn't pause, does it mean they go three quarters of a percent again for that rate hike? What does this mean? I mean, more than a half a million jobs. Handicapping the Fed has is, is, uh, been an absurd science, even though it's been relatively predictable. And I, if you look at Fed fund futures, uh, July 28th, I think we were down to 316 on March 23 expectations of where Fed funds rate. They're back up to 365. We've had a massive move. A lot of that came today, uh, half of that move. But, but again, uh, the market is effectively since the Fed rhetoric that began after the Powell, uh, you call it dovish, I'd call it you know, I call it hawkish comments of last week, but this week we certainly got more hawkish Fed comments. We've priced in another 50 bips after today's payroll number. What's it mean for the market? Well, I, you know, I think good news is good news here. I, I think it's also just ratification. We all know it's backward looking, much like second quarter earnings were backward looking, but they're all pretty much in sync here. We didn't hear anybody talking about the consumer being dead or rolling over. And in fact, uh, even on guidance, uh, that was not really the issue. So I think it's relatively good news. Look, the, the VIX was 
was down today uh, on a day when, again, you've introduced more Fed, not less Fed. And that, to me, is pretty good for the market. But as Guy pointed out, you know, semiconductors, which I, I like to point to, have rallied 28 percent, 29 percent. We're down very small today. Uh, I think that the challenge right now, frankly, is to see rates continue to push higher. Uh, and I think we probably uh, a few of us may be in that camp, too. I think uh, have we been at peak rates very possibly. So how are we supposed to make sense of all of this? What, how do you and your colleagues talk through these numbers when you still have this very strong labor market, but then we've got this inflation print that we're going to get next week? Who knows what that's going to look like? But I, I can't believe it's going to fall much, much lower than where we've been. There, there aren't really indications that any of the Fed's tools have started to push that number to go lower, at least not yet. Yeah, so, but I think the key is that you just said, that it's, it, you don't know how much lower or you don't know how much lower it's going to go from where it was. That's the key. We have to get to peak inflation. If we can get to peak inflation, you can get to peak Powell. So I don't know, everyone talks about Powell taking a pause. Doesn't really matter at this point because you have a month. So I think we're overlooking these. Everyone knew the jobs market was excellent. As Tim just said, it's backward looking. We're looking at where is inflation right now? If you could make the case that inflation has peaked, then you could make the case that he has to pause. The problem is Powell's job is to crush demand. That jobs number is not crushing demand. So he has to go further than the market would like him to go. This isn't about whether we're in a recession now, Court. This is about will the Fed create a recession down the road? This print makes it more likely. I think on Wednesday, you're going to get the most important CPI that we've ever seen. If that comes out to show a, a, even a lowering of inflation, I think you have the makings of a little bit more of a rally. And then I'm, I, I think that the market is going to turn south again and we'll start to see lower numbers below, below 4,000 in the S&P. Well, because, Steve, you brought up that, that R word, that recession word. Guys in the control room, if we can, I'd love to play the soundbite from Jamie Dimon today in Boston talking about what he thinks about the state of a recession or not. Right now, the American economy is kind of strong. And, you know, a recession, the technical terms of recession, of shrinking GDP, I'm not sure I even believe those numbers, by the way, because they're so distorted coming out of COVID, supply chains. You know, unemployment is still going up. I don't think I've ever seen a recession where employment was getting stronger, not weaker. Jobs are plentiful, wages are going up, so uh, people have more money, they're spending more money, they have more money than, than they had pre-COVID, uh, they're spending 10% more than last year, 35% more than pre-COVID. That doesn't sound like a recession to me currently. Well, Mike, Mr. Diamond sounds still pretty optimistic there. What do you think? How do you make sense of all the data? Do you agree with his opinion? And really, most importantly, how do you make money? How do you put it all together to make some smart decisions going into next week? Yeah, well, the first thing is that people's spending can be going up, but that doesn't necessarily mean that all is well. If you have an inflationary environment and we have had one, people could be spending more, but they could be getting less. And that obviously isn't a very healthy recipe. That said, you know, when I saw the jobs number, I couldn't help but think that it's a positive. Imagine a different scenario. Imagine we got jobs numbers that were really miserable and missed that quarter million estimate that everybody was looking for. And then next week, we got even worse inflation numbers than any we've seen so far. I don't think that's gonna happen, by the way, but if that had happened, the Fed would really be painted into a corner. So as far as I'm concerned, I think seeing a strong jobs number, seeing unemployment at three and a half, even if participation is a little bit low, 
this is a better place for the Fed to try to negotiate from. And by the way, when they're negotiating, they're really driving down the highway using only their rearview mirror. That's all they've got. That and a bunch of the rest of us riding in the back of the car screaming you know, every now and again at what they're doing. And I think that's really where we're at. But I think the jobs number today was ultimately a positive. Other thing is that markets typically climb walls of worry. And we have a little bit. We have implied, implied six-month correlation to about 50% in the options market. That is a little bit worried posture. The VIX, as uh, Tim pointed out, I think, is lower, but it's still relatively elevated. That, again, is not essentially signaling the all clear. So if there's any chance that we were going to navigate our way out of this morass that we found ourselves in uh, without having a complete mess on our hands, I think this jobs number was one of the things we needed to get there. Yeah, Tim, since Mike gave you uh, the hat tip, I'm going to toss this up to you. Yeah, VIX has definitely fallen over the last month, but still around 21. And I'm just also pulling back to what Mr. Diamond said about the consumer spending more money, 10% more. I looked at the XRT up 5% this week compared to the NASDAQ up 2%, the Dow slightly negative, and the S&P flat. So, I mean, that sort of suggests to me that at least investors aren't worried about consumer spending so much. Not quite yet. What do you think, Tim? I, you know, I'm recapping retail earnings, and, and you're, you're the guru, uh, and Mike's the VIX guru, so um, I, I'll defer to both of you on this. I actually think that the VIX is too low here, considering the, the, the risks out there, and I think, you know, I'm kind of surprised that we're, we're uh, as sanguine as we are. I, I understand why the VIX was actually moving lower as, as growth headwinds were coming in, and it seemed like we were getting less Fed. I would think the VIX should be higher. But you know, retail, uh, what we heard out of some of the biggest retailers in the world was, yes, there was a, a, a shift in the product mix. There were certainly hard lines were under pressure, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but we weren't hearing that their consumer was dead. Uh, we were hearing that their margins were under pressure, that they had awful inventory issues that I think um, are things that we will navigate through. And if anything, I think we've, we've uh, pushed these guys around. And I mean, certainly Walmart, but Target and some of the other uh, big hardline stores, big box, uh, very hard here when I don't think that their inventory issue is something that's systemic. I just think it's one off. All right. And we're going to learn a lot more, of course, when those full earnings reports come out in the weeks to come. You know, retailers are always at the tail end of the season. But even with today's slight pullback, the S&P is still up nearly 14 percent from the June lows. But where's it going to go from here? Well, Chartmaster Carter Worth, he joins us now to walk through those key levels. Carter, take it away. Well, for starters, where's it going to go from here? You know, it's fair to say we're all guessing a lot of the time. But uh, before we look at the charts, we know this. It was a mixed bag this week, right? The um, five sectors down, six sectors up. S&P 400 mid-cap index down, S&P 500 up. Dow Jones Industrials, transports, utilities all down, NASDAQ up. But anyway, let's look at some charts and try to figure it out. And these are all fairly short term. I thought we'd um, sort of be myopic today. That circle is what's known as overhead supply or congestion. That is essentially eight to 10 days of trading from Friday, May 27th to June 8th. And then we plunge and made a new low and we've returned to it. And we're contending with that supply. If you look at the next chart, the line drawn depicts exactly where we are in relation to that eight to 10 days of trading. So we're dealing with it. But the question is, do we exceed it or do we back away from it? Look at the next iteration. Same chart, just with more drawings. So the point is, there's a lot of symmetry here. We're at a level where moving higher would be officially a breakout above that condition. And faltering would also have, of course, major implications. Let's pull this back now and include a trend line. If and as we were to break out on the next chart, you'll see 
where a measured move, where we could get to. That, that essentially prints 4,300. Now, let's do the lines a different way. Look at the next chart. I've taken the trend line away. And is this not the same setup as we saw before in the January, March period? And what happened then? Final chart. We got to that former high and we faltered. I'm in that camp that ultimately we're going to give back a lot of this ricochet, if not all of it. It's impressive. Things like Apple up 25, 26%, uh, the S&P up 14, but it's uh, a bit too far too fast. That's my conclusion. Hmm. Got it, Carter. I like it. Um, well, we'll see you back here in just a couple of minutes for options action, so don't go too far away. But I do want to trade this for a moment here. Steve Grasso, what do you make of this? I mean, it's hard to argue against some of those charts, seeing some of those trends. Do you think we're going to have a hard time holding on to these gains or building from here? I, I do. I, I think that we're going to have a hard time these next couple of months. Uh, Guy has been in this camp as well as I have. I think we're going to see a 4,200-ish or around there. I think today's print in the uh, in the jobs numbers probably should have been more negative for the market. It wasn't. I think CPI will be positive for the market. If that's the case, I think uh, we could hit that number that that Carter just talked about, 4,300 ish before we turn back around and have a, a wishy-washy month or so. I think after the midterm elections or right there thereabouts, I think we should probably rally into year end, but I think it's going to be a little uh, tough going on the way there. Hmm. Guy, well, Steve uh, tipped his hat to you, so I'm going to let you get in here. Where do you think we're going for the rest of August? Yeah, I agree with Steve. I agree with Carter. You know, maybe you have another 50 points or so in the S&P, and you know, to a large extent, most of this move has been somewhat predictable since the middle of June. but. Now I think you're at a point where you're sort of picking up quarters in the middle of a freeway, I think, if you're trying to remain <laughs> bullish. And again, uh, I agree that, listen, it's great that the job numbers was great. I'm just surprised how the market interpreted it, because I would look at it and say, you know what, it makes the Fed's job that much more difficult. And anybody that thinks this Fed is somehow pivoting, look at these numbers, and I would suggest they can't. And, you know, I have no idea what CPI is going to be, but I also know that inflation doesn't come down on a dime. It takes a long time. So... More Fed to me, Tim says it all the time, equals more volatility. I think we've seen the up move in the market. I think the next significant move is lower. All right, fair enough. I would have liked to have seen Mr. Powell's reaction this morning when that number came out at 8.30 Eastern time. Well, coming up, Disney on deck, the media and entertainment giant out with earnings next week. But will the report be the magic touch for the Magic Kingdom? And later on, options action. Not all chip stocks have been in rally mode. But for one of our traders says it might be time to take a dip into Intel. He lays out the case. More Fast Money after this. Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of brighter futures for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? 
Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com, that's YahooFinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. Another big week of earnings on deck with Disney, SoftBank, Coinbase, Wynn, Capri, Palantir, and so much more actually set to report their latest results still ahead. Our traders have their eyes on some of those key reports. So, Guy, which name are you watching of the bunch? Well, it's a great list. Disney to me sticks out. Obviously, we breached $100, but for the first time in a long time, you can buy Disney uh, pretty much at a market multiple, slightly higher, but you know, probably 19 times next year's numbers with a company that will probably have close to 25% or so EPS growth. So I think Disney's interesting here. It's not about Disney Plus. It's about the sum of the parts to me. Tim says this all the time. So I like Disney and earnings. I think it goes higher. I think the average price target on the street is 137. Interesting that Warner Discovery uh, report was kind of a mess. So maybe it's good for Disney if it's not all about DTC. Tim, what's your take on Disney? I think yeah, I think Disney's weathered a, a bunch of, of of hits from all these other players, and and in fact, um, I think you've you've reset expectations. Meanwhile, Disney continues to reaffirm 240, 250 subs on Disney Plus out uh, to the end of next year. So I, I think the numbers are fine. I think the reopening trade that we've heard a lot of good things about in terms of where they are with parks o- overall, I, I think, as guys said, the valuation. I even have it a little bit cheaper. I you know I love the valuation here. Five year support at 95 to 100. Um, I think the risk reward is to the upside. Hmm. Mike Coe, what are you watching this next week to come? Uh, yeah, I think Rivian's an interesting one that's going to be uh, reporting on Thursday. So the options market right now implying a move of about 13%. This thing uh, got slayed after they reported in May. And of course, uh, you know, we had a lot of institutional sales coming from Ford. I think in their most recently reported quarter, they their position had been reduced to about 75 million shares. The thing is, this thing has bounced more than 70% off of that low. And the problem is, they're kind of a niche player right now, and they're gonna be occupying a space that I think General Motors and Ford are gonna start coming in on. Now, of course, as a shareholder of Ford, I still own a little bit of Rivian because each share of Ford probably is about 3% Rivian shares. But I think Rivian's gonna have to say some pretty exciting things, I think, to get the stock a whole lot higher after the big rally that we've seen. Guy, what are you thinking about Rivian? Yeah, Mike just hit the nail on the head. It's had a huge bounce off those May lows. They just announced, I think, on July 27th that they're cutting about 6% of their workforce. You know, that doesn't augur particularly well to me. You know, maybe you see a continued short-covering rally, but you're talking about a car company effectively trading at close to six times revenue, which I still think is expensive, despite the fact that this stock has been effectively crushed over the last year. So I think if you've enjoyed the bounce off the May lows, you take your money and run into earnings next week. Suddenly, Seymour, what's the one report you're watching, Tim? AIG. Uh, and, and again, remember, uh, this is the company that almost drove the entire world uh, 
down in, in the financial remember. crisis. It's a company, though, at this point is a, is a very different business, actually has a very conservative business, which is a good thing for all of us. But their property and casualty business is starting to grow. The valuation at four and a half is, is ridiculously cheap. Um, if you think about where the stock has come from, uh, it's, it's, it's pulled back nicely. And I think the setup into earnings is decent. Um, you know, you're not going to get much in terms of revenue growth. Expectations on the street is about 1% up uh, and EPS down small. Uh, and I think as long as they stay in those lines, steady as she goes, this is one to own in this environment. Steady Steve, what are you watching? Capri Holdings. So this is one I made my first purchase in the mm -hmm. high teens. Uh, it's trading around $50 now. This has been, you know, for me, the strength of the luxury brands. I think we're going to see that this coming week. They're about a debt reduction story. They have a buyback in place. They also source in euros and sell in dollars. That's the right side of an FX trade. I think you're going to be surprised. The stock is down 25% because it was thrown into, oh, if we're going to have a recession, luxury is not going to do well. History has shown us just the opposite of that. Michael Kors is not discounting as much as they would normally do. Versace's doing well. Jimmy Choo is doing well. I'm looking for good things out of Capri next week. Yeah, I think that's one of the companies a lot of analysts have pointed to that took the opportunity of the pandemic to kind of right-size the operations and get their handle on that discounting. Very interesting stuff. Well, thank you all. Coming up, place your best shares of DraftKings, clocking in their best week since 2020. But is that move too good to be true? The traders dive in. And be sure to stay tuned at the top of the hour for a CNBC special, Inside Jobs. Amy Javers dives into every angle of this morning's employment report and what the stronger-than-expected number says about the state of the economy. You're watching Vast Money Live from the market site in New York City's Times Square. We're back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. DraftKings topping the tape today. The sports betting stock soaring 31% this week. Almost 10% just today. The company lifting its full-year guidance after reporting a second-quarter revenue beat this morning. What kind of wager should investors, though, make on DraftKings now, especially after this little bit of a run? Tim Seymour, what do you think? Well, the good news here was that this wasn't just about cost savings. This was actually, the, you know, the, the variance from where the street was on revenue and the beat by about 6% was better OSB, online sports betting revenues. Uh, we heard from Caesars earlier in the week. We got a sense that the competitive and overly you know, mercenary environment for uh, advertising and spend and marketing was something that maybe was starting to find some rationalization. So um, this is a member of the all-squeeze team. It's up 100% from that May 12th intraday low. You mentioned what it's done. I think it's up 55% in the last eight days. Short interest around 9%. Uh, you know, this to me trades at about seven times revenues. It, it, it's interesting because, you know, what is cheap, what is not in this space, I'm just not sure. Um, I do think that this is an addressable market growth story. Um, and, you know, that, say, that, that revenue to sales number is expensive, but it's gotten better. Hmm. Michael, if you're going to place your bets, should you place them here? Should you look at Caesars, MGM, I mean, or even Bitcoin? Often those seem to be tracking together, right? This is a wager risky kind of bet stock. Yeah, if I was going to go for the gaming names, I'd probably be going for one of the older ones. I think the numbers there are a lot more compelling. 
you know, as Tim was just pointing out, this is the circumstance you have. You know, a 9% short interest isn't absolutely off the charts. Actually, we were just talking about Rivian. That one also has relatively high short interest. But, mm -hmm. you know, that can create a squeeze situation when you get a slightly better than expected number. But that can come back out once that situation gets correct and you can see it drift a little lower. Fair enough. It's already time for the final trade. Let's get around the horn. Tim, start us off. Yeah, guy got me fired up for Disney. Again, I, I think we priced in a lot of bad news in terms of what's going on in the DTC business. I like the valuation. I like the risk reward. The mouse house to me, well to go. Got it, Steve. In that same theme, what I'm watching next week is what I'm selling on the final trade. I should say what I'm buying, Capri Holdings, buy. Okay, Mike. Yeah, Rivian reports next week, but I'd rather own Ford. All right, take it home for Sky. Bit of a stealth rally in gold. GDX has not followed. I think it catches up next week. GDX, Court. Okay, that does it for us on Fast Money tonight. But don't go anywhere because options action is next. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.